0: Welcome to Gleaning and Gathering. This is the podcast where I talk about whatever I jolly well please. (laughs) It's good to be with you all today again and uh, I've been thinking a lot of thoughts lately about the idea of creating intentional community and the whole idea of cultural identity. You know we experience different uh, communities along life's journey and I have experienced uh, many of them that uh, were incredibly positive and ones that I wanted to emulate in many ways. I've also encountered communities along the way that were incredibly toxic. And in being in close proximity to them, I saw warning signs that uh, I never, never want to emulate. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. You know, I I came across um, uh, a piece a while back. It's a, It's a piece about the gospel, and I did a a podcast um, kind of summarizing this, but there was an equation in there for healthy communities. He said healthy communities are ones that have lots of gospel from from beginning to end in scripture, plus lots of safety, a a place where people feel free to open up, to share their hearts in, in a safe way, and then lots of time. And I think that equation really lends itself to what i would call thick community and there are places along the way where you experience or hopefully will experience thick community communities that have a strong cultural identity and that are completely and totally sold out to jesus it's a wonderful beautiful thing and when you experience it uh, you want more of it i remember a few years ago our family uh, had traveled widely had been lots of places and I was scheduled to go to a little tiny camp in southern Illinois, and I had no idea what to expect. Had never been there, as far as I knew, did not know anyone there. And so we pulled up on this little campground that um, was out in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's a railroad track and two curves, and then uh, here you are at this little campground. And um, I pulled up on this camp and uh, began to unload and unpack. And my kids were less than thrilled about being there. When when they heard it was going to be a 10-day camp, we're going to be stuck here for 10 days, daddy's going to be preaching, Uh, they've done this before, and uh, this is just, uh, you know, here we go again. But what we found there was something incredible and incredibly helpful to our family. What we found there was a community of believers that had been sharing life together at a very deep level, uh, most of them from one church, uh, but they had been doing this camp for 75 plus years. And there were things that were there that were strong culturally I- cultural identity uh, markers, I'll call them. Um, one of the things that, that I noticed was that uh, when they ate together in the dining hall, they didn't just send everybody through a line in a buffet style. But they sat together at tables, and they ate in, in family-style setting. And the youth were the ones, primarily, that were serving at the tables. The intentionality that they had in doing that, um, for someone who's just walking in, might think, oh, okay, they eat family-style instead of walking through uh, a buffet-style. But it was important because the arrangement... Of that meant that you were constantly interacting with others at a table everyone was eating at the same time and there were there were lots of things about that that meant that the level of interaction was much higher than it was at other camps where I had experienced where it was just kind of like let's get through this meal um, but each meal was kind of a little Lord's Supper there were other things. Um, there were flowers all around. They had flowers everywhere, and it was beautiful. There was care given to the place. Uh, there was mulch on the paths. There was uh, all kinds of uh, little, little, uh, just touches that made it uh, look and feel a lot more like home. And even the the care that they gave to the cabins and to the space and thinking about it, it was it was obvious that these were people who were shepherding this place and that cared very much about working together in doing that, and it really attracted me. On the last Saturday of each camp, they would have all of the youth come to the front and there was a uh, bouquet of flowers from the past year that would be removed and then a new bouquet of flowers that would be placed there in front of the podium And they would read off the names of all of those that had been part of the Mode Camp community that had passed away. And, you know, that first year, it was kind of like, this is a little strange. Um, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, I don't know these people. I don't know these names. But as we have been there now for eight years and hearing those names, I know those people now. These are people that we've been in relationship with and to hear those names remembered and to watch the youth as they stand in front in their very Sunday best listening. What you get from that is this sense that I am part of something that is bigger than myself, that goes on, that has roots in the past with people that I may not have known before or known well but this is this is a group of people that both have a history and they have a future. And I think that's a characteristic of thick community, is that there is a sense of rootedness. There is a sense that I am part of something that goes beyond just this moment. And I think that's really important. You know, in Indianapolis, um, we had a strong community there, and I would call it a thick community. And it's a community that even though the church is no longer worshiping each Sunday, still exists. It's it's incredible to me uh, that many of the people, I would say most of the people that attended Victory Chapel, that were part of the core team there, really still identify with the culture and the um, the overall ethos of Victory Chapel. And even though they're no longer together there, they carry that with them now to the other places where they're worshiping. It's uh, it's incredible as I've had conversations with them and the way in which they're interacting now with the faith community that they're in, in many ways has been shaped by their overall thinking and philosophy that was developed there at Victory. and And I'm not saying that it was was us. I'm just saying that that's what happened and that there's still this strong bond that's there that I've never seen really anything like it uh, in other places. But one of the things that we had that was part of our cultural identity there that kind of grew up was that in any meeting that we had, I just made it a tradition somewhere along the way to sneak in the topic of birdhouses And sometimes it was challenging to do, you know, to bring up birdhouses at every single church meeting or gathering is, is really, it takes some creativity, you know, (laughs) it doesn't naturally flow into the conversation. But what it, what it did was it, it uh, created this moment where it was an inside joke, really everyone who was part of Victory, uh, whenever they would hear birdhouses brought up in the meeting um it was like there it is there it is again <laughs> and they knew it was coming but uh you know it was just uh, cleverly disguised and and weaved in there and so still um you know i'll get pictures uh from different ones that were part of our victory chapel team of bird houses cleverly uh texted to me along the way or uh just uh bring up the topic of bird houses uh and uh, you will uh, have all kinds of memories flooding back from our days together there at Victory Chapel. And what it was, was just one of many, really, moments that were part of who we were together as a group. It was this, this inside joke, this moment where we are, we are sharing this together in a way that uh, other people may not understand, uh, probably won't understand, but it is, uh, it's part of our cultural identity, you know, there are other things that probably are less important that become part of our cultural identity. For instance, um, you know, we have this ongoing discussion at the gathering and we have one particular member who's very insistent that we need to start on time. If it's 11 o'clock and church starts at 11, then we need to get up there and start it officially on time. Otherwise, you know, we are, we are late. Well, at Victory, the, the cultural identity was we start when we start. And when everybody's there, we share together, we fellowship together, we're together. Church has started uh, whenever we are here. And it doesn't matter when the person gets up in front and says something. Uh, the church is, is beginning because the church is us. We are the church. Together, we are the church. And so that that sense of um you know promptness and that we are going to prioritize the clock over our relationship uh, just wasn't there. And so, you know, it was not uncommon for us to start 15, 20 minutes late uh, from most people's way of thinking. But we weren't starting late. We were starting on time because when we got there, uh, church had begun. Uh, whether the first uh, scripture had been read or not, uh, together, as the people of God, we were sharing and church was us. And there was that cultural identity that we were prioritizing people. You know, there are a lot of things that shape a cultural identity. But I think that uh, many times it it is something that we don't recognize. It's just part of the uh, the. the Water in which we're swimming. You know, as one person said, a fish doesn't know he's wet. And so there are many things about a cultural identity that can grow up either unconsciously or in a way that, uh, you know, people are not calling it out that are not helpful. Things that are toxic, you know, and I think about different cultural groups that, that I'm familiar with uh, who have a, a cancel culture. You know, there's a culture of fear that has grown up. That if you are, you know, identified with or caught associating with a particular uh, segment of, uh, of the people who are not us, then, uh, you know, you're in danger of getting canceled. If you're not going to say the right things at the right gatherings and, and get up and uh, affirm the things. I'm not talking about biblical things necessarily. I'm talking about things that, uh, you know, are important to this particular faith community uh, then you're going to get canceled or you're going to uh to at least be put over here to the side with a question mark by your name you know we're not sure about him there's a lot of fear that goes with that because the the politics that are associated with that you know is uh, is a form of spiritual extortion i remember a few years ago i preached at a a place that uh, will remain unnamed but i remember about uh, halfway through the week just feeling this overwhelming sense of just this this spiritual extortion that had taken uh, the the whole community um, by storm, and and there was this sense of you know uh, the gospel gun being cocked and put to your head, and said, you know, are you going to be spiritual brother? Are you going to get over here with us? Are you going to be part of that other you know group over there? It's death. It's absolute death that kind of identity, that kind of cultural identity does not find itself consistent with the gospel that I see in scripture. Uh, Developing a cultural identity within his disciples that we see most clearly at the Last Supper, you know, when he lays aside his, his garments and takes up the towel and the basin, and then he washes their feet. And at the end, he said, do you know what I've just done for you? You call me master and Lord, and I am. But if I have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. That kind of identity that Jesus is creating there by communicating to them, this is what I want. This is what should be important to you. These are the things that matter. And him doing this uh, has given us an example. They will know we are Christians uh, by our love, by our love for one another, that's what should define us. That's the thing that should truly cause people to look on and wonder, how how do I get to be part of that? How can I have a piece of that? That is what is important. You know, there's a lot of cultural identity out there um, that is toxic. But I think that it's important as Christian leaders that we follow the model of Jesus and laying down an example Uh, for others to follow, that we lay down an example of sacrificial service. The kind of example that we see of Jesus in John chapter 13, where he says, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should also do as I did to you. You know, to really follow that through, to really live that out, and as Jesus also gives the instructions to his disciples in Matthew 23, call no man Lord, call no man master. There is one Lord, even Christ, and you are all brothers together. You know, I, I don't think is consistent with our modern clergy understanding. You know, if we're not careful, the whole idea of church leadership becomes one of entitlement rather than one of service. And the idea that we are called to be servants of all and that the greatest among us is is to be a servant is completely and totally turned on its head with things like, you know, Pastor Appreciation Month. I I'm, I'm thankful for the appreciation um, that I feel from our local folks, but it's not something that I expect and it's not even something that I feel entitled to. I think it's it's a fine line there to, to walk, but if we're not careful, we can create a cultural identity where I'm the head and all the rest of you um, here are... <laughs> just, uh, you know, just layman, just layman. And uh, there's uh, there's this gap that begins to form between us and them. And it's a gap that, you know, at least in one of the college classes that I took uh, was, was recommended. In fact, uh, there was a book on pastoral Administration that was, you know, telling pastors that they they really needed to be careful about cultivating too close of a relationship with any other people in their congregation. When you put that together with the the modern statistic that pastors uh, stay at any given church for about two and a half years, you you end up with a terrible, terrible cultural identity. This identity that I'm committed to this church until I find a better option. I'll be here until I move on to the next place. And uh, there's no sense in which we are the body of Christ and members together one of another. How do you call people to that kind of depth when you are not willing to make that commitment yourself as the leader? And and again, I I don't want to paint this with too broad a brush because I know that there are many pastors out there who are deeply committed to their congregations and have been there for, for decades. But... Uh, many times that's the exception rather than the rule and the idea that um, we're always just looking for that next rung on the ladder or that we are owed something because we are the pastor and that uh, you know people should um, should give us our due to me is absolute death to the idea that we are the body of Christ and members together one of another that we are called as God's people to share life together at a deep level in a place, how do you get there from this place of power where uh, everybody's going to listen to me and do exactly what I say, and and that's and that's that? Uh, I don't see how you can, and I think that's a that's a huge problem. Not in every place. I, I've seen some places again that have a great cultural identity and a sense of this commitment to this principle that Christ gives us that we are called to lay down our lives in sacrificial service for one another and that that's across the board that what God has called us all to do in the in the body of Christ is to truly love and appreciate one another uh, my problem is not with church pastor appreciation uh, month i just wonder when church janitor appreciation month is and uh, Church Organist Appreciation Month, and Church Pianist Appreciation Month, and, and all the other people that need to be appreciated because uh, they don't have any title, and yet they are the, the members of the body that, that are truly demonstrating daily the, the beauty of, of Christ to their neighbors and to their friends around them. Uh, I just think we need to be appreciating everyone, uh, not just a, a select few. So I, I think that part of the cultural identity comes from, from leadership. Are we willing as leaders to come down off of our high horse to admit the things that, that we struggle with, that we are challenged with, and that we are willing to make ourselves vulnerable? You know, most of my messages at the gathering really are just me trying to share with the congregation what God is teaching me and what he is sharing with me. Which means that, uh, you know, sometimes, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's very uncomfortable for me to share those things and for me to be vulnerable in those ways. And yet that's, that's where I'm at. And, and for me to be able to express where I'm at and what God is teaching me and how he's leading me is, is one of the ways that God keeps me humble and keeps me uh, close to him to recognize that there are a multitude of ways that uh, he is still shaping me and, and forming me. But I want to be able to share those with my church family, which is one of the reasons why uh, we don't live stream and we don't broadcast um, because this is a family affair. And this is something that uh, we're sharing with eight people in a place and is not necessarily uh, something that uh, you know needs to be broadcast all over the Internet. Uh, Again, I'm not condemning or, or looking down on those that are in a different context. The context that we're in is a, um, it's a house church. It's a close knit family group and our cultural identity is here is being formed as deep disciples of Jesus Christ who share life together in this place. And so many of my messages are (laughs) nowhere close to being homiletical masterpieces. Uh, They don't have, you know, three points in the, in the poem. Uh, They really most of the time have one point and it's whatever point God is, is teaching me. And I'm endeavoring to try to share what he's teaching me through scripture with those that he's given me to, to shepherd and to love in this place. And again, I'm not saying we're doing it all right and everybody else is doing it all wrong. Please, please. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am trying to communicate is that I think that as leaders within churches, many times, if we're not careful, we create this polished veneer that fails to risk anything. And so we're great pulpiteers but in terms of being able to deliver a message that actually grips people's hearts and that hits them where they live and that they can identify with and that then they can come away with an application that says, yes, I see the ways in which that God wants me to change. And by his grace and with his help, uh, this is something that I'm going to work on this week. And uh, that's the desire that I have is that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that uh, the people that he's given us to shepherd here at the gathering at Victory Acres, will be able to draw closer to God and become more of who he wants them to be. So just some thoughts on cultural identity. I would love to hear uh, what your version of the birdhouse might be. (laughs) What are the things that uh, you might be doing in your group that are kind of the inside joke or the inside uh, moment that others outside might not know, but that uh, help to to draw people closer together in the circle where you are. Or the other things that uh, you have become intentional about in developing the cultural identity where you are in your place. I'd love to hear those. Thank you so much for gleaning and gathering. God bless.